Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Did you know that you can claim CME credit for many of the TMA Practice Well podcasts? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash C-M-E-T-O-G-O to register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and Standards of the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products, devices, or services may be discussed in the content of the CME activity. The planners and speakers of this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as a primary legal source and does not replace the advice of your health care attorney. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the Texas Medical Association Education Center, and I produce the TMA Practice Well podcast. My guest speakers are Diane Shaw of Shaw Associates in Dallas and Shannon Vogel, TMA's Associate Vice President for Health Information Technology. In this Ask the Expert episode, we're answering the frequent questions about the regulations for e-prescribing a controlled substance. Shannon and Diane, welcome. So to start, Texas had new requirements go into effect January. Shannon, can you give a basic overview of the regulations and waivers? So electronic prescribing of controlled substances, it is simply the electronic transmission of a controlled substance to a pharmacy. Effective January 1, 2021, so effective January 1 of this year, Texas physicians are required to electronically prescribe all controlled substances. And these are schedules two through five, not just what might be required uh, to check as part of the PMP. So there are even some that are schedule five that are controlled substances that do need to be sent electronically. 
Um, this happened under House Bill 2174 last legislative session in 2019. And um, you have to do this unless an exception applies or a waiver is granted. Now, here are a few exceptions that don't require a waiver. Um, you can submit electronically, but reasonably determines it is impractical for the patient to obtain the prescription in a timely manner and adversely impacts the patient's medical condition. Electronic prescribing is not available due to temporary technical or electronic failure. When the prescriber and dispenser are in the same location or under the same license, circumstances in which necessary elements are not supported by the most recently implemented national data standard that facilitates electronic prescribing. A few more exceptions. By a practitioner to be dispensed by a pharmacy located outside the state. For a drug for which the US, drug, US Food and Drug Administration requires additional information in the prescription that is not possible with EPCS. For a drug under a research protocol, for a non-patient specific prescription pursuant to a standing order, approved protocol for drug therapy, collaborative drug management, or comprehensive medication management in response to a public health emergency or in other circumstances in which the practitioner may issue a non-patient specific prescription. Diane, I'll turn it over to you to go over the waivers. Thanks, Shannon. There are a few waivers and they are not automatic. You must have solid proof to get the waivers and you must go online to apply for the waivers. The economic hardship, of course, is one factor and any special factors affecting the cost of compliance. You know, that could be a lot of different things to different practices, but it has to be real. Just from my experience, in working in regulatory and as well as working with physicians in rural areas, many of them are servicing folks that don't can't get uh, physician care anywhere else. Uh, many of them are Medicare. If they, if you're to run your books, you might actually show that to cover all your overhead. You, you're already operating at a loss because you're serving an underserved population that, that could potentially be an economic hardship. Uh, other factors are the technological limitations, uh, not reasonably within the control of the physician. You know, there's a lot of areas where the internet is, is not good. And so you have to have good, strong internet to do e-prescribing. Uh, you know, I do have some other examples like out in rural areas or semi-rural areas back to economic hardship where doctors are servicing Medicaid children who need help with behavioral ADD factors. And you know, there's in Texas and many states, there just aren't psychiatrists out there. And that's another potential population that when you add up the numbers, it may be hard to even meet your budget, and that could be a factor that should could get you a waiver, but you have to have the dollars and cents to show that, and the same with the technological limitations. Um, you know, it, it cannot be simply that there are physicians who never wanted to go to EMRs and, and never have, so that can't be the reason. <laughs> Because 
they can you can get some pretty inexpensive monthly fees just to do the the medications online waivers must be requested by the physician not the entity and this is where you go to the online site uh, the physician's waiver covers any of the physician's delegates. The pharmacists are not required to verify the physician's waiver. In other words, the pharmacist is not ever going to be responsible for filling any prescriptions that weren't done correctly. They're not ever going to bring it to a doctor's attention because it's not their duty to do so. Once the waiver is approved, it's for one year, and then you have to do the process again for each year. And I know a lot of physicians that, not a lot, but those that don't do EMRs, they are doing the e-prescribing because it, it has been, I think, an easy way to keep up with the medications. And and of course, since the opioid crisis, it, it's an easy way, much easier way for the government to have a regulatory arm over who's prescribing what uh, and so forth. And I just want to very quickly add that for those of you that do choose to seek a waiver for, from TMB, it is a pretty automated process. Once you put in the information, we've heard from physicians where it's just a couple of minutes where they have that the waiver is granted. So it's not going through a lot of channels on the TMB side the uh, Texas State Board of Pharmacy website, again, where they are directing their pharmacy members, you don't have to um, have any proof of a physician's waiver. Now, um, it was mentioned that you don't have to have an EHR to e-prescribe controlled substances. You can use a standalone e-prescribing vendor. Um, now, if your EHR does have it, they may not have it as part of your, your module or your system automatically. You may need to request it and probably at an additional fee. And it does require two-factor authentication. So it's not the same as regular e-prescribing. If you don't use an EHR and you choose a standalone, you can expect to pay about $75 per month per physician for that functionality. Now, uh, the SureScripts, Sure they certify e-prescribing vendors. And you can go to their website. And if you focus your search by choosing standalone ERX, You'll only get five. This is what you'll get. And this will allow you to choose vendors that offer standalone e-prescribing of controlled substances. Good information, Shannon and Diane. Thank you. Let's get into some of the frequent questions we've received at TMA around e-prescribing controlled substances. So we received a great question the other day from a member. And the physician has a patient that is requesting he send the prescription out of state because they're cheaper for the patient. These are 90-day mailed prescriptions. The physician could not get his app to recognize the pharmacy, so he sent a written prescription, and now the out-of-state pharmacy mails the prescription to the patient. So the physician's question is, does he need a waiver in this circumstance? You know, well, I think that was included in one of the waivers, uh, Diane, that, you know, Go ahead. I was going to say, it, actually, I, I was going to say it fell into one of the exceptions that it, it's just not available. Uh, your your ability to use it is not available. So, so. so one of the exceptions is by a practitioner to be dispensed by a pharmacy located outside this state. That is, that is one of the exceptions. 
uh, circumstances in which necessary elements are not supported by the most recently in, implemented national data standard or electronic prescribing not available due to, it says temporary, but this would certainly be a technical failure, you know, and I don't think, I don't think the uh, EMR systems for e-prescribing have plugged into to what you're talking about as far as mail prescribing. I am familiar with that. It's not real common, uh, and and it's probably sending red flags to your e-prescribing system. I I think it falls within certainly within two or three exceptions slash waiver, but the waiver you have to get permission for which is a technological limitation, not reasonably within the control of the physician. Okay, thank you. Now, what if this was a military doctor? Are they required to comply with EPCS regulations? I, I think the answer to that is if you're in Texas, yes, unless you get a waiver and get, get a waiver each year. And there may be a technological li limitation. There may be a waiver that has to do with you know, governmental regulations that, that are federal that we're not really attuned to as well, as far as keeping those records private and confidential, which would fall under HIPAA, but that, that's not listed specifically in the statute. Does that help? Yes, that does help. Shannon, let's move on to some of the questions you've received. I think you have one that's along the vein of sending prescriptions out of state um, or outside of their locale. Uh, can you send an e-prescription to out-of-state if your patient requests it because, let's say, the patient is on vacation in Florida and needs a refill or forgot their meds? I mean, that's a common thing to go on vacation and forget your meds and they need a refill. Can you send that uh, electronically out-of-state? I don't know that there's a definitive rule on that, but if the pharmacy, like, for example, CVS, if it's a pharmacy that is national and it's set up for that and it's set up for the prescribing mechanism that you're using, I don't see why not. The technology that you're using is likely to be national. The pharmacies are national and it's still picked up through the Texas registry, which is the goal of the e-prescribing. The next question, does this apply to everyone, example, VA clinics, because we are unable to e-prescribe to them? I, I think that falls within the same category as what if you're in the military. I, I think you have to get a waiver, and it, that waiver may be technological limitation as to one. Uh, other exceptional circumstances could be another because the, there are ways that the VA, which is federal, governs, the military governs, and so you, all of your electronics and your IT is going to be different. It, it's not going to sync with the private sector. Uh, another question, going back to the VA patients, if we are going to prescribe a written prescription for controlled medication, our office would need to apply for a waiver. So asking if, if they would need to apply. I would say yes. I mean, you you should automatically qualify like and get it within minutes. Or if you don't, they will tell you what you need to do. <laughs> but you you know, to be compliant, I would say you need the waiver. Yeah. 
or federal. So federal takes uh, is superior to state. So you have that legal argument, but to be compliant, it's best to get the waiver. Another question, do these rules pertain to hospice patients? That was a good question because I, I did see where what the exception about in response to standing orders, approved protocol for drug therapy, collaborative drug management. I, I think hospice care fits into all of those categories there because, you know, it, in hospice, you pretty much have a predetermined uh, set of medications to keep patients comfortable. That's the point of it is to keep patients comfortable. It is collaborative drug management as well. If there's something more that's needed, it's the team. Uh, the doctor isn't that active in, in uh, hospice care. The doctor listens and they say we need something in addition to what's in the pre-approved packet and he can order it but the the process of getting the medication goes through the team it doesn't go through the doctor and then also asking if we have to check the pmp for hospice patients well that is a good question i've never seen uh, that done man they get they get free meds and it's um it's morphine and you know, other good things, <laughs> as some might say. So uh, I, I've never seen it done. So the next question is, do we still continue to prescribe class three and four like regular prescriptions or do we have to use EPCS? You know, and again, within each drug class, some of them will be controlled substances, some will not be. So if they are classified as a controlled substance, and then the answer is yes, you do have to. And they can go to the DEA website to see what the DEA classifies as controlled substances. And uh, that may help you. But, you know, within the, the various drug classes, if they are classified as controlled substances, the answer is yes. There's a lot of controlled substances that are not narcotics. Right, right. Um, are all five schedules of controlled substances need PRX? So again, yes, if it is, if it is a designated controlled substance, you do need to send it electronically unless an exception applies or unless you have an, a waiver. And that's what I was going to say. I've had some physicians ask, do I just go ahead and throw away my prescription pads? And the answer is no, because if you have technical failure, you may need to pull those out. Um, if you are running low and you think, oh, I'm not going to reorder because I never use them anymore, that's fine. But again, you know, you might want to have some on hand for those times when there's a technical failure and you need to drop to paper. Shannon, what are some of the other questions you're getting? If a physician is out of the office, can staff call in a prescription? You know, uh, right now, again, there's probably not a rule. It's probably a gray area. But if you were, uh, if the Te Texas Medical Board would look into this, it, the answer would be no, your staff cannot call it in because you are personally responsible for writing it when it was a triple script if it's a narcotic. Now, control a controlled substance that's not a narcotic or a dangerous drug could be different, I suppose. But, uh, you know, 
the whole goal of this it, in part is to regulate and and see who's prescribing what and so if they go back and they're regulating it and they pull your records and they see that someone other than you uh, made this prescription, it could be problematic. But can a physician delegate? I will tell you, I and Diane, correct me on this, but everything I've always understood was that um, physicians, now you can delegate if it's, you know, your, your PA or uh, somebody that has prescribing authority that you can delegate to, but if it's to um, somebody that does not have prescribing authority, you you cannot delegate the even the the electronic prescribing. Just a, controlled substances. A visual example is you know doctors sign emergency back in the day of paper emergency prescription for narcotics. So if an emergency came up, a an assistant at the office could fill out a, a controlled drug prescription um and you know those that situation was audited and and not allowed and so this is the electronic version of that visual picture <laughs> mm-hmm. so um another question any possible red flags you have identified with e-prescribing of controlled substances what should we be extra careful with in order to be compliant with the law? And Diane, I'll let you formulate your answer, but while you do, I do want to mention one thing. So earlier I mentioned the PMP, the Prescription Monitoring Program. So there are four drug classes for which when you are prescribing those, you do have to check the PMP. And that is where you can see a patient's risk score Um, how much have they been shopping for various um, medications? If they got uh, an opioid filled, you know, two days ago and have 50 pills, there's no reason they should be presenting to you today wanting more. And that's where you can find out. So I would say make sure you're very diligent about checking the PMP because that will reduce your risk because you will be able to identify uh, your drug shoppers and those that are Uh, going around looking for anybody that will write a prescription for them. Diane, anything you want to add to that? Well, I would just endorse that and and say every time someone comes in for prescribing, you know, doctors always, it's part of their protocol to check that PMP, but it's not always documented. And you should have that in your form, checked PMP, you know, and then either have you know, one indicator for a problem and another one to say it's clear at the PMP level uh, because it's done a lot, but it's not documented near as often as it's done and it's gotten doctors into some problems. Yeah, really good point about documentation uh, and, and making sure. And one thing that I will say, you know, with most EHRs, so the state of Texas did um, have a, a budget item to pay for integration of the PMP into your EHR. So as you launch a prescription, if it um, is required or, or part of the PMP protocol, you should have a ribbon or some something that alerts you to check the patient's PMP right there while you're within your workflow. So make sure that you're looking for that, making sure, make sure that you check it, pay attention to what it says. You should get some really good information like, you know, what uh, prescriptions the patient has received who's prescribed them, the quantity, um, but again, also a patient's risk score. So that risk score will take into account if the 
um, patient, you know, maybe is a, a cancer patient and has a very uh, specific need for pain medication. So make sure that you're looking at that, checking it and, and documenting that you have checked it. Yep, I mean, the documentation at the Texas Medical Board has become part of what they see as the standard of care. And so all the factors that go into prescribing medications, they, they have a checklist of the Texas Medical Board and the administrative rules as to what they want to see documented, which I can add to this. I don't have it handy right now, but it's, it is just a rule and it's a lengthy checklist. And that's just for any documentation. And then there's other requirements for controlled substances. Yeah. All right, Diane and Shannon, any last thoughts to share? I want to mention a couple of things. So, um, Diane earlier went over the various waivers that you could apply for. And when you do apply for a waiver, remember that waiver is only good for one year and you can only reapply for up to five years. So if you try to stall this for very long, eventually you will run out of time. Um, so just remember that, that, that that is only good for five years. Another thing that I wanted to point out is Medicare was going to require e-prescribing of controlled substances effective January 1, 2021. And so Texas law was put in place to align with that. Well, Medicare ended up, um, because of the, the public health emergency, delaying by one year. So even though Medicare delayed, Texas law still stands and, and the compliance is still there. Regardless of whether Medicare patient or not, you do still need to uh, follow the EPCS regulations. Thank you, Shannon. And thank you both for answering questions today. This wraps up the time we have. To our listeners, if you plan to claim CME, go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go and click on the link for this episode to register and claim CME. Remember to like and follow to get more help like today's Ask the Expert episode. Until next time, stay well.